Welcome to the Independent Dependent Podcast. I'm Amber. And I'm Nina. This podcast takes you behind the scenes into the life of U.S. military spouses. We chat about all things lifestyle, business, and how to become an independent dependent. Welcome back to the Independent Dependent Podcast. Today, we have Jay LaRae coming on as a guest speaker, and we are so excited to get into all the fun things that we chatted about with her. In this podcast, we are talking about what it's like to be a late career military spouse, her own personal development journey, stepping outside of the victim mentality mode, what it's like to gaslight yourself as a military spouse, and so much more. So yeah, let's get into it. Well, today we are super excited to have Jayla on the next episode of The Independent Dependent. So welcome, Jayla. We are super excited to have you here today. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. Yes, yes. We know you refer to yourself as a late career military spouse. We wanted to give you the floor to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what that means, what that means for you. Yeah, sure. So I'm Jayla Ray Ardeline. I do go by Jayla Ray. I have to like tell people that because they're not sure. And to me, being a late career male spouse means that I not only met my spouse like later in my own life, but I met him later in his career as well. So I didn't experience a lot of the typical cornerstone military experiences of like moving up in the ranks with your spouse. Like that wasn't a thing when we met, he was already like, oh, far major. So he had already lived a lot of life, done a lot of things (laughs) in the military and already had like an established career. And then it also means a couple of other things because I've chatted with a few other military spouses who I would consider fall in this bracket. And I think one of you fall in this bracket as well, (laughs) but I can't remember which one of you it is. It can also mean that like you were on your own career path and you essentially had to pause and stop so that you could move with your spouse. And then you're sort of left reeling in reclaiming your own identity and your own independence because your career track has now changed. So I think both of you can relate to that because we all three of us needed to step, (laughs) needed to step into the virtual space in order to continue working and have that flexibility and like a remote opportunity to continue pursuing our goals and dreams. So yeah, for sure. I wouldn't change it for the world though. It is hard in the moment. I feel like when you're like going through that, like shift of like, almost like you as a person, you know, you're going down this path. It's like super solid for you. You know what you want for yourself, but I really am grateful for like the swap in like, I guess, career, the career change that I had along the way. I know Amber, you had like a really solid career, like solution. I'm still going through mine, still making my plans, but Amber actually was like in it. I'd love to actually hear from you too about it, Amber, how that went for you. Yeah. I I'm glad you explained that because I know Personally, from when I kind of saw the term late career mill spouse, I kind of was just under the impression that maybe it was just referring to like when you guys got married or when maybe he started his career. But you're so right that the spouse that's not active duty or enlisted that impacts them and their career and their life as well. And so thanks for obviously sharing that definition. Yeah. And I do think, I do think there are spouses out there who their spouse is starting a military track career later in life as well. And then they would also qualify, I guess, for that term. So 
there's like a few different ways that you could use this terminology. But to me, it's the best way to describe like how I met him and kind of what transpired after meeting him. I also know like a lot of other military spouses who are stepmoms because they stepped into like an established family system and a divorced family system. And then like, they're not, they're not their spouse's first marriage. And that is true for me as well. So that's another like little bit that kind of goes into it. It's not like necessary or required, but it's definitely a pattern that I have seen as well. Yeah. Well, that's like you said, it's part of your story. I don't know if you have anything else you'd kind of like to elaborate on. We'd love to obviously give the floor over to you to just introduce yourself, who you are, kind of what you're passionate about, what brings you kind of into this space. And yeah, just explain a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I had referred to, you know, kind of being on my own career track and then kind of needing to divert and I had just finished my master's when I met my husband and I had gotten a really great job. I thought that I was on track to essentially become an editor of a literary magazine because I had just graduated with a degree in English. It was a writing degree. I was like very excited to start this process. I had just gotten a job as alumni on my campus and yeah, we met and then he was like, I have to choose between Rome or Kansas for school. And I was like, what, why are these, geez, (laughs) the options, (laughs) why are these the options? That's so weird. (laughs) And basically it came down to, okay, well, Kansas isn't far from Colorado. We met in Colorado. So it was like, we could do long distance or we could go to Rome together. And obviously I chose Rome. (laughs) So (laughs) Yeah. So we went together and that meant a big destabilization in my own life. Yes. It is very exciting to move overseas. I was getting a cultural experience through a different lens. I had been to Italy before I had done some traveling, but like living overseas was something that I had not done before. So I was super stoked for the opportunity and I couldn't really do anything while I was over there. And it was kind of nice to have a break after grad school because I had really been grinding really hard for two years. So it was nice to have a break, but that also meant like, well, what's my next step? What am I going to do if we're really going to be together and we're going to get married? And like, this is my new identity as a military spouse. What am I going to do? (laughs) Yeah. And I had a friend who was like a virtual assistant for a coach in the online space. And that's how I kind of branched into the online world as a virtual assistant. I know y'all can relate to that. So we have, we have a lot in common. Yeah. I didn't know you started in this space as a VA. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I started as more of like a general admin VA until I kind of niche down into specific things. And eventually I met my now boss and I started with her company as a VA as a subcontractor. And then I became her first full-time employee and was sort of promoted to director of operations. So I like moved up, but again, that is very different than a writing career, (laughs) like a writing based career. Yeah, I am. Um, when Nina refers to my story, it's because I went to school. I got my master's in social work, and here I am doing not that at all. 
nobody can see us, but we're shrugging. Like, what do we do with that virtually? <laughs> yeah. Like so weird. Yeah. How do you, and nowadays, of course I can go on a tangent about how, you know, they do telehealth and that's attempt because of the pandemic and everything that's an attempt, but I've talked to people that are still in that career field from like my past life. And it's just, it's just not the same being, you know, doing that kind of stuff, tele, I guess, virtually. But anyway, so we'll save that tangent for another day. (laughs) Yeah, no. So I just, I entered like the virtual space and there was a long time between me starting as a VA and actually meeting my now boss and creating that relationship with her. And she's a fellow military spouse. She's also a late career mill spouse. So she's one of the reasons why I was able to sort of like coin this term and find this pattern because I knew that I wasn't the only one who was not only meeting their husband later in life, but was also a stepmom and marrying someone who was divorced and like blended family stuff and who had a career track as well, and then had to pivot into the online space. (laughs) She also did that. So... (laughs) Well, and that's what, one of the things I love the most about this community is that like, no matter where you are or where you feel like you'd probably be the most alone with like this, you know, life's circumstances in this community, I feel like there's almost always someone that's in a very, very similar position as you just because of the military lifestyle. So I do find that as long as you're obviously like open to community um, and that's something that you're looking for, you will always find someone that is like understanding of the exact situation that you're in, in my experience anyways. So, yeah. It's funny that you say that too, because I really resisted planting myself in a military community for like the first few years of military life. Like I didn't I didn't seek out relationships. I didn't do anything like on base when that was applicable to us. I kind of like kept to myself and that was not serving my life goals or my mental health in a really great way because I wasn't really connect. I didn't have that community and I didn't have that support. So eventually when I finally like broke down that wall and I really started my own personal growth journey, I realized that I'm not going to make it in this lifestyle if I don't surround myself with multiple military spouses, people from different backgrounds, people similar to me, all of it. Like I wasn't going to go very far (laughs) if I continued on the path that I was on. (laughs) I think that's interesting because I was definitely very similar, especially before my husband and I actually got married and then did our first PCS together. You know, I moved down and was kind of like the girlfriend who wasn't really a part of the community yet. Like I said, I had my master's, thought I was going to have this whole other career for myself and was like, no, I'm not in this community. I'm like doing my own thing. Yeah. Like whatever. And, uh, then we had, and I had gone through two deployments already with him, but even still, I was like, no, this isn't like a part of my life. Like, yes, he's in the military, but I'm separate. And I think obviously we talk about being an independent dependent. And so of course we value independence, but I think there is a benefit of like accepting that this is a part of your life. And if you can tap into the resources and the community that is there and lean on them when you want to incorporate them in the ways that feel good. Like I feel so I'm a key spouse for my husband's squadron. Now I'm so much more involved in the community here going to a squadron event after this later today. And like, you know, I just feel a lot more involved in the way that I want to be. I'm able to form new relationships. And so I think that's a good point, a good point to make. Like you can tap into that and feel good about it, but it doesn't have to take over your whole identity either. So exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So what? 
I also, to touch on that a little bit too earlier before you said that not really allowing yourself to involve yourself in the community kind of hurt your mental health and like your personal growth and development, like where you wanted to be. We're here today to talk about personal development. And I really want to tap into what that means to you and what that looks like for you now and maybe what that looked like for you before you stepped into this like community, this space. Yeah. So what I was finding when I wasn't tapped into relationships and community with other, like a lot of other military spouses is that all of my challenges and issues were sort of falling on deaf ears because as much as I love my family and friends, they have a limited understanding of what it means to go through military life challenges. And that's not their fault. They just, they just don't have it. They don't have that frame of reference for everything. So when I would talk to them and when I would feel sad or misplaced or like really struggling with my identity with them, they didn't really have like the tools to support me. And again, not of no fault to them, but that's when I kind of realized I was like, you need to talk to people who are in your exact position or very similar so that you can help each other out of it. And you can help each other build stronger connections with like the community around you and also feel like this is actually a part of your identity and it is okay to claim that. And it's still okay to be an independent person who has nothing to do with military life and have all of these multifacets of your identity to begin with. And I really relate to what you said, Amber, because like I was a very independent person. I really resisted calling myself a military spouse for like the first two years when we weren't married, but hello, you don't have to be married to be in this lifestyle. Like, yeah. So true. If you're a significant other, you're in it. Like you are 100% in it. (laughs) And I almost feel like as a significant other, because I know when my husband and I were just dating, like I almost feel like he felt those ties even more. I feel like when you're married, you're used to it. You're just like, well, you know, I'm going (laughs) every three years. But when you're like so new into the lifestyle as a girlfriend, let's say like for our like situation specifically, I almost feel like it can be harder. It can be harder on you. It's kind of like you have one foot in, one foot out. You haven't really taken like the full leap. You're in it. You're immersed for sure. But there's like another level of commitment that you haven't quite reached yet. And I think the biggest difference too, is that like, you're not covered. Like the military doesn't care about you until you actually are married They're not there to like support you or advocate for you or anything. That's just like an unfortunate reality. And even moving to Rome with him, like we had to do everything separately. I didn't realize you moved before you were married, but yeah, that's, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. It was before we were married. We were together for two years before we got married and that happened four months after we met. So it was very fast. (laughs) That is insanity. I will, and I could only imagine because, like, you know, PCS. Like, I'm I'm going to say policies. I'm probably using the wrong terms, but for when you're PCSing with like a family versus when you're you're in your dependents, right? Versus when you're PCSing on your own. I know that on paper looks a lot different. So I know that that was probably first of all to get into <laughs> um, the cost of that. You picking up your life, you know, with also not to say that this is like something that you need, but like no security in that, you know, you're just picking up your life and moving to a completely different country. And like you said, I'm currently stationed overseas. We're in Germany. So I know what it's like to like 
go through that. But as again, with that, like one foot in kind of one foot out, that's insanity, but obviously it worked out for you. Yeah. It, and it worked out, it works out in the end and it works out for a lot of people in the end because then they actually get married and then they can hold that security a little bit closer and things do feel quote unquote, a little bit more comfortable. It's never comfortable, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you're afforded a certain amount of security and stability once you are married that you don't otherwise get. There was another, there was another really important ingredient that went with all of that too. Before I was actually plugged into military communities, um, specifically for myself to benefit myself, (laughs) I was in a state of like victim mentality all of the time. I was like, oh, I would try to tell, you know, my civilian friends and family, like, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Here's a really long list of why you should feel bad for me. Like everybody feel bad for me. I'm a victim in this situation. And it's really, it's actually really easy for us to fall into that because sometimes military life is just hard and you want people to validate that it's just hard, but you can go too far. You can, you can go a little bit too far into that space and expect too much from others without taking any personal accountability, like for yourself. So that's kind of where I was at. And I knew that something needed to change. And I think you had asked me, Nina, like how I would define personal growth. And I feel like it's a huge umbrella term that we could probably spend hours breaking down. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's just a conscious decision to examine yourself, to build more self-awareness and to eventually break patterns that don't serve you and how you know, it's a growth journey to like get there, to break those patterns. And one of my patterns was victim mentality. So how do I step out of that? That was kind of my relationship with it and how it first started. Did you feel like it got any easier, like for you as time went on within your marriage or did like, you know, the whole marriage binding thing help with that at all? Or are you just getting used to this lifestyle? Um, just curious. Cause I know that's like a thing or that's, that was definitely a fact for me. I, I think it's more of like acceptance again, getting out of, cause I was in that same like victim mentality of like, everything is just so hard because this life and blah, 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 and expecting other people that aren't in it to understand. But I almost feel like once I married, like actually married my husband, it got a lot easier because it was like that ceremony was like my acceptance, you know what I mean? Into it and just being like, well, this is my life now. And then taking that on and being able to actually go forth with my like personal growth after that. Now, I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are on that. And yours too, Amber. That, that is not what happened to me at all. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were together for two years. We got married and I wish that that ceremony had been my moment, but my moment still didn't come until like a year later when I was finally like, no more. Like this is a part of your identity. Now there just needs to be a level of acceptance there's so much that you can do with this and how can we shift from this sucks to what are the opportunities without gaslighting yourself at the same time, which is such a fine line to walk. And I don't believe in like toxic positivity. I don't believe in people like invalidating your feelings when things are really hard, but there's still a way to build more self-awareness in those hard times and take things as lessons and ask yourself when it starts happening again, like, do I want to repeat this 
And if the answer is no, then like, what do I need to do to change this path for myself? And a lot of people don't pause to ask that question. (laughs) And I wouldn't even say that I pause every time to ask that question still, but yeah, I'm not like perfect by any means, but this is, that's a really important question. Like, do I want to do this all over again for myself? And if the answer is no, then how do I get, how do I do something different? I like how you refer to it as gaslighting yourself, but there might be people who maybe don't really know what that term is or don't know really what that means or what that might look like to be able to actually recognize it in their own life and how they're doing that. Would you, could you like elaborate on what that means, what it might look like for people who are listening? Yeah, absolutely. And I can give a few examples and if they don't match like what you're currently feeling, that's because there's a lot of ways to gaslight yourself and there's a lot of ways to be, there's a lot of ways to be gaslit, but this actually gets into a lot of imposter syndrome that I was feeling in the beginning of becoming a military spouse as well, because I had such a gigantic learning curve, how I would gaslight myself was like, oh, this is hard, but other people have it harder. So stop complaining. This is hard. And like, it's hard because you don't know enough. So learn more. And then I wouldn't commit to learning more. So then I would go down a shame spiral. (laughs) Um, Like, I don't understand what that acronym means. And I don't understand what the situation means for us. And I'm having a hard time grasping the reality of it. And then just completely shaming myself for not automatically understanding something. And then, dang it, there was another really good example that I've used that I know people really relate to. And now I can't remember it, but maybe I'll come back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If it pops back in, just obviously go for it. But I feel like even we touched on it a little bit earlier, but even that separation of being just a significant other or just being not just, but being a significant other and being a girlfriend versus being married or illegally, you know, having gone through the marriage process with the person who is active duty or enlisted, I feel like that's a whole gaslighting situation in and of itself where someone is, you know, telling themselves like, well, I'm just a girlfriend, so I don't deserve to feel this way. Or I'm just a girlfriend. You know, I haven't been here long enough, or I've only been in for, you know, been with my person for six months. I don't deserve to feel upset, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, et cetera. So, yeah. And then there's that comparison of spouses who have been doing this for a long time, because it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. There's always going to be another spouse around you who is quote unquote seasoned and has been doing this for a long time and has a tip and trick for everything. And you're like, I can't even use your tips and tricks because I, you're so far ahead of me, but we're not on the same, like we're not on the same wavelength. So yeah, that's, that's definitely another example of like how you can say, how you invalidate your own feelings basically toward the situation. You know what y'all are calling me out too, because earlier I was like, oh, the ceremony of me getting married just like made all my problems go away. But I think it was me telling myself like, oh, now that this is like, you know, on paper and legal, I'm like officially, like I allowed myself to accept this as like, you know, my life. And I was doing the gaslighting of like, oh, I'm just a girlfriend. So, you know, like there's no reason for me to learn all these things or it's just, it's going to be hard, but you know, so had a whole realization over here while we're having this conversation, had an epiphany, but yeah, 
With the military, I know that daily routines are a big one that can get thrown off of course, like really easily. I see you guys, if you could see her face right now, you would die. Right. And I guess I, I probably know the answer to this question, but we'll get into it. I was going to ask if you have any tips on getting through that, you know, after adapting to like the honeymoon phase of like new habits, once you've kind of entered into this lifestyle and what you do like with your routines and productivity, like when you're feeling or you're struggling with your like putting yourself first and with your personal development. I think my, my journey with that a few years ago was very different. I was following a lot of like personal development gurus out there and their methods weren't working for me. And I would then feel bad, like there's something wrong with me that I can't make this routine work or that I can't be consistent with this routine. And then I realized that it's just because someone has given you like a prescription of like, this is how you do it. You still have the freedom to say, well, this piece works for me, but this piece doesn't. How can I mold this and shape this to actually work for me? I actually really struggle with routine a lot of the time. And as I've kind of dived deeper into the Enneagram and how that can best support me, that's what I use now as like my assistance with productivity boosting and how I can get myself back in the mood to like (laughs) do do the work that needs to be completed to tackle the goals that I know I have for myself that are sort of sitting there and like, I got to do more work. Like I got to get into it. So that has been really helpful for me. And then part of the reason it's been helpful is because it's personality based. And a lot of the personal development gurus out there don't care that everybody has different personalities. They're like, oh, it works for me. So it's, it has to work for you. It's going to work for you. And that is like one of the biggest lies that it to ever have existed in this space. And I think finally, once I accepted that it was a lie and that they don't work for everybody and that this is personality-based, I gave myself that permission. I became infinitely more productive and more willing to take pieces of routines that are helpful for me and leave the rest at the door essentially. So I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) No, I think that's great. But I think it does bring a really good point because I know I found myself doing that previously in my life as well. And I'm still learning and still adapting, but something I had a conversation with a friend like a few weeks ago, a month ago or something. And, you know, it's like, I used to be so on point with my morning routine. And now I'm finding that, you know, maybe I'm more productive later on in the day when I used to be more productive in the morning. And I had this whole revelation of like, it's okay for your productivity levels to shift and adjust depending on where you're at in your life in that season, but actual seasons changing, like winter's coming. People are feeling more like gloom and gloom. People might not be as productive right now. Like this is when I thrive. <laughs> oh, good. See, <laughs> that's why it's not like, it's not a one size fits all for everyone. Cause some people are like, I can't do anything. It's so gloomy out today, which is me sometimes, but you know, then there are other people who are like, no, winter is like my, my time. It's when I'm, I feel good. So I think that is a good point that it's, you really have to, I think, just reflect a lot and pay attention to yourself and your body and your mind and feel, 
you know, what is going to make the most sense for you and trial and error is I think another piece that you kind of brought up. Yeah. I've done a lot of testing and I think that's the, that's the piece that some people skip because they like take a routine as prescription. And they're like, if I don't do this exactly, then I have failed or it doesn't work for me. And it's like, well, but did you test different methods? Did you like figure out, did you take the time to like, okay, today I'm going to experiment with this. And then if it didn't work for me tomorrow, I'm going to change it. And I'm, this is how I'm going to change it. I've done a lot of testing and I've done a lot of testing to know too, that routines don't always work for me. I'll have one month where I'm very routined. Things are going smoothly. It's awesome. I'm more productive. And then the next month will be like a lower energy month for me. And sometimes I just have to be okay with that. Sometimes there's just acceptance of like, I can't perform at the same level all the time. That's not realistic. (laughs) Yeah. It's not really human, is it? (laughs) We're not machines. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's a really good point. And something that I think doesn't get talked on enough in this space. I feel like it's starting. I've, I've seen some people kind of share about that a little bit here and there, but I feel like it's still not talked about enough that things can shift. And if your routines or the things that you were trying for a while don't stick or they're not working for you anymore, that doesn't mean you're failing at a routine. It just means that now you're needing to work with something else and adapt. Yeah. And I think we need to stop treating routines too, like the Marie Kondo method. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but I... (laughs) I'm not super familiar with it. I feel like I should be, but I've heard of it, obviously. (laughs) Yes, I would expect you being the organizational guru that you are to know who Marie Kondo is, but I don't judge you for not knowing. I only found out who she was through like one of my mentors. But for those of you guys that don't know, Marie Kondo has this like organization method for your house. And it's like, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is because I don't obviously don't tap into that. (laughs) See my house back here. It's not... (laughs) not organized. If y'all could see my office. No, but I feel like you were talking about like the personal development gurus, like treating it like this one size fits all cookie cutter thing. And that's where like the Marie Kondo method, it doesn't work for so many people because people organize themselves differently. And I think it, that goes hand in hand with routine. And I think the sooner we all accept that you need to like test routines, right? Trial and error, like we were just talking about you'll make it easier on yourself. You'll make gaslighting yourself a lot harder when you allow yourself like the room to grow in that, grow with that, right? Learn yourself. But you also mentioned your Enneagram. I would love to know what your number is because I'm a nine. I think Amber, are you a nine as well? I'm a two. Oh, I'm so glad that this conversation has gone in this direction. (laughs) So um, by the end of the year, maybe even by the time this podcast episode comes out, I'll be a certified Enneagram coach. And I've just been like obsessing over how this system works for me. And I know that it works for a lot of people. So for those who are listening and don't yet know what the Enneagram is, I'll just kind of like give a brief breakdown and then I'll tell you who I am. but it's a personality framework essentially. And the thing about it is, is that now that it's grown in popularity, there's so many memes on Instagram circulating about like, if you're a type this, then you must do this. And again, it's that like prescriptive thing that's happening. And a lot of people just use it to like validate their own behaviors and things and say, oh, well, I'm 
I'm a type nine and therefore I take naps or whatever the stereotype, that's a stereotype for nines. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they start to over-identify with the stereotypes, but in reality, the Enneagram is a super deep system and it is personal growth work if you use it as a tool. So that's what I've been obsessing over the past year is like, how do I use this as a tool? How do I use this to increase self-awareness? How do I use this to benefit my life and to make things a little bit easier on myself. So I'm a type four. So I am just hundred percent led by my emotions. So as you can imagine, deep feeling can throw you off track when it comes to pursuing a goal or productivity. And that's why it was so hard for me to use these other prescriptive methods out there that were one size fits all, because there's a lot There's a lot of types that can relate to those gurus because they are very similar to them. They're future-oriented thinkers. They're a part of the independent stance. They can work really, really hard and not feel tired. Like They're not like processing their emotions as they come. And so that, that translates into more work, more work, more work. I'm not that person. And it took the Enneagram and learning more about that to realize why I never identified with those other methods. And it was freeing. It was totally freeing. It was like, okay, I can either use this as a tool to benefit me, or I can over-identify with my type and use it as an excuse to not move forward. So it's a whole, like it's a whole process in of itself. And I do use like Enneagram coaching within like my mill spouse mentor business. And that's one of the reasons why, because I want people to understand that like your personality may be different from the next person. And that may be why that doesn't work for you. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is how you kind of have incorporated. Cause obviously, like you said, you're, you're working on becoming a coach here very soon. And so how does that kind of play a role with the business that you're working on, the people that you're working with? How do you incorporate that maybe personally, professionally, but also inspiring and educating others on how their Enneagram type is going to also play a role in their life? Yeah. So I typically start with like one question that someone has like, oh, I'm running into this issue, or I always seem to have this challenge, or I would like to pursue this, but I'm not sure how to start. There's usually some sort of challenge that is occurring. And then I use the Enneagram and I also use human design. I like overlap the two (laughs) because I think they're so, they're both such powerful systems and they both still have gaps. But when you overlap them, a really powerful magic starts to happen. So they come to me with a a challenge, a question, and then I use dynamics and facets of their Enneagram type and their human design type to help them solve that problem. So it's not a one size fits all problem. It is or solution rather. It's a, this is catered to you. This is designed specifically for you. This is your map to get you where you want to be. So yeah, that's kind of how I start. I was just going to ask out of curiosity because I asked you about the Enneagram earlier. I need to ask what your human design type is now. I know that I'm a generator. Me too. Oh, okay, cool. Amber, do you happen to know yours? I need to take the quiz. I don't know, actually, off the top. I feel like I've taken it a few months ago, but I haven't. I don't know off the top of my head. So it's not a quiz. I need your birth time and I will plug it in and I'll tell you all the things. <laughs> so. Okay. I'll get it. I'll text my mom after this today and I will message you. (laughs) But my question was going to be, could you explain what that is? Because I'm not as familiar with human design as 
I am with Enneagram and I'm still obviously not an expert, but I'm sure that there are other people who've like, what, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So human design has been around for a really long time, just like the Enneagram has, but it's also rising in popularity, at least with like millennials, especially on Instagram. But it's basically like a combination of a few things. It takes into account like your astrology where it's your birth time. There is a chart developed based on your birth time and location. And then it also kind of incorporates like some gene keys type stuff. And it has nine centers in your body. And those are either defined or undefined, meaning you're either taking that energy in from others or you're putting it out into the world. So it's this really deep examination of how you process energy. That's how I would describe it. I don't know that human design coaches would describe it that way, but like, that's how I see it. So when I go to like tackle a problem with a fellow military spouse, and I'm looking at the Enneagram and human design, I'm using human design for energy based questions and solutions. And then I'm using the Enneagram to like fill in, well, what is your personality? Like, what are your patterns? What are your behaviors? What is your wiring? Like what's your makeup essentially? And why are you running into this, this issue? over and over again. That's really cool. So when you say like issues that maybe a military spouse, what kind of things are people coming to you, you know, questioning about, is it lifestyle? Is it business? Like what things are people kind of, and could they come to you for also for listeners who might be interested? So, so far it's been a couple of entrepreneurs. So they're running into issues related to productivity inside of their business, or they They want to understand how to best align their energy and keep their energy aligned for longer periods of time so that they can tackle a specific goal that they have in mind. I feel like I need to uh, hop on a call with you, girl. Once I get my information, I'm like, oh, this is me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and so that's the thing. Like when I do these calls, like you have to know your Enneagram type with certainty, but you don't need to know your human design, because I can, it's not a quiz. I can pull that up and we're off to the races. (laughs) So that's awesome. So you would encourage people to take the Enneagram test before like hopping on a call with you. Actually, I don't recommend Enneagram quizzes (laughs) because the Enneagram is such a like deep system. It can take a lot of time to actually accurately type yourself and doing a quiz online is typically not an accurate representation because you don't have the level of self-awareness yet to understand your Enneagram type when you take that quiz. So it's helpful because it can kind of steer you in the right direction. It can at least tell you perhaps which center of intelligence you lie in. There's only three options. So it can kind of get you closer, but I wouldn't take your Enneagram quiz results as gospel as like, this is me. I mistyped myself. It's easy to do. And yeah. That's true. I've heard that people have done that before. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I've only ever just done the quiz. Instead of taking a quiz, I would recommend listening to podcasts, reading books, really taking the time to examine each of the types and looking at the core motivation of each of the types. And again, because perhaps you don't have that level of self-awareness it takes to understand like all of the functions of your primary type, it can take a while, but that's also part of the fun that it can take a while. And I've, I mean, I've heard a lot of people who were like, 
into the Enneagram, they mistype themselves. And then they realize six months in, this doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it feel right? And then it's because they avoided looking at another type that's actually them because it was too strong of a mirror. (laughs) It was like, oh, I can't, I don't want to face that about myself. I don't want, you know, I don't want to do that. So that can happen over and over again, but that's, that speaks to like the depth and the accuracy of the Enneagram, because if you feel like that's too much, pay attention to that. Cause it probably is trying to tell you something. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, do you have any specific podcasts or books that like you would recommend someone who's super new or just has a slight knowledge to listen to or pick up? Yeah, I do. I have a few favorites. So if you do like to absorb some information on Instagram, there are a couple accounts that are, because it's such a deep system, they're kind of distilling information, but they're not memes. It's it's information. It's like valuable information. So Sarah Jane Case is a really good example online on Instagram. She also has a book called The Honest Enneagram. It's one of my favorite books. If y'all give me your addresses, I will just send it to you because it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing to gift to people. (laughs) Oh, so sweet. Yeah. (laughs) And then in terms of other books, uh, The Road Back to You is a really great place to start. It's authored by two of the most prominent Enneagram figures ever in existence. And then Suzanne Stabile also has a podcast. And now I can't remember the title of the podcast. It's the Enneagram something. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, but she's she's a two amber, so you might really Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool to know that about her because it once you know the type of each of these coaches and of each of these teachers in the space, you start to see the filter through which they are providing that information and it gets even more fascinating. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing all of that with us today. That's super cool. Nina, did you have any other questions? No, I mean, I was just going to kind of close us out and ask if you had any more words of encouragement for military spouses that might be struggling with personal development, getting into a routine, gaslighting themselves, (laughs) anything. (laughs) All the things. Yeah, all the things we chatted about today. I would love for you to just give us some words of wisdom before we head out. Yeah, well, I'm glad we took a moment to kind of hover on the Enneagram and human design because that's actually when personal growth like cracked wide open for me. I just needed a system. I needed a tool. That's my primary recommendation to other military spouses who want to actively work on bettering their lives is to find a system, a personality-based system that really works for you, that really makes you feel validated and strong and gives you the tools to move forward and then figuring out how to like actually use it as a system and not just as a, this is a fun little meme. (laughs) Those would be my words of encouragement is like, if it's not the Enneagram for you, what is it? Which other system is it for you that really lights you up and gets you excited to learn about yourself? Because if you're excited about it, you're going to increase your self-awareness like to the nth degree. It has to light you up. It has to yeah, it's got to get the juices flowing. It's got to make you like, oh, I can't wait to learn more. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree that it's got to be something that aligns with you, not just something that someone else tells you to do, you know? And then our, our closing question that we always ask our guests is what does it mean to you to be an independent dependent? 
I know it's kind of like broad question, but (laughs) that is kind of a broad question. I mean, I think I've essentially already answered it because it's about having your own identity, even as a military spouse. And I think what we spend a lot of time talking about is like, it's just one facet of your identity. It's not the only identifier. You are so many other things. And just remembering that because it helps you to sort of reclaim your identity and reclaim independence. And I think it's totally normal to lose those things when you enter military life and need to learn how to reclaim them. It's a hundred percent normal to go through that process. And I wish I weren't one of those people. I wish I weren't one of those people who needed to lose stuff in order to figure out how to claim them back. But at the end of the day, that gave me a lot of wisdom and empathy for those who are currently going through that. So it's it's given me the tools that I need to effectively support other military spouses. So I wouldn't change it. <laughs> well, let our audience know where they can find you on Instagram. If you have a website, any information you want to share, we'll kind of leave that open for you. And then we'll close out the episode today. Yay. Thank you so much. Um, So you can find me on Instagram at mill.spouse. That's where I spend all of my time. If you DM me, I will actually respond. I love talking to people. So tell me who you are, where you are, all the things. I love having conversations over there. And I do have a website. It's jlaray.com. I'm sure Amber and Nina will kind of include everything in the show notes. And then I also have my own podcast. Um, It's called The Heart of a Mill Spouse Podcast. It was released just this year and it is under like the umbrella of personal growth. But I started with a deployment series and I'm excited to bring on guests here soon and have real conversations about what deployment is like. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Jayla. We have really appreciated this conversation and our time together. It's been so lovely. Oh, so, so good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me and I'll see you around. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Independent Dependent Podcast. Be sure to head over to millspolifestyle.com to find the blog with all the show notes and links from today's episode. Make sure you let us know what you thought about today's episode over on Instagram at the Millspell Lifestyle. Thanks guys for tuning into today's episode. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.